Good morning, everyone. This is Barry Knapp with Ironsides Macroeconomics. It's shortly after 7 a.m. Mountain Time. I'm back in Colorado after a week seeing clients in New York and uh, Boston. S&Ps are up a little bit. Regional bank stocks are rallying. Um, the Treasury market is um, six to seven basis points higher across the curve. I suppose it's a little bit of optimism ahead of um, the senior loan officer survey this afternoon. The meeting at the White House with the speaker and the president tomorrow, CPI tomorrow as well. Um, as we've been saying for months now, the overarching thesis is disinflation, and uh, we're going to be lapping a very hot comp in um, the core services measure of CPI. Energy, uh, the energy comp is not so hot. It had a huge spike in March of 2022. Uh, fell a little bit in April and then moved up again after that. But um, inflation is still headed towards something closer to 3%, we think, within that by the end of the, um, the second quarter on a year-on-year -year basis. So our note this week was titled Do No Harm, and it was primarily about uh, the latest policy comings and goings, the 50 basis point hike that we view as fairly ill-advised. We then discussed the dollar and um, a change in the trade regime as we finally work through all the supply chain stuff. We reviewed the labor market and um, some interesting data on um, that what we've been describing as the manufacturing renaissance last week. So beginning with, um, you know, with our section titled doing harm as opposed to do no harm, if we think back to the September FOMC meeting when the Fed hiked 75 basis points and increased their terminal rate forecast by 80 basis points, triggering instability in exchange rate markets, mortgage-backed securities, even treasury trading, another key element to that meeting was lifting the policy rate beyond the level with which the Fed's portfolio and a third of bank assets that are held in securities started carrying negatively. And while that wasn't apparent after that meeting, we, we did know that the Fed's portfolio was carrying negatively. We didn't quite know how destabilizing this was going to be for the banking system. That problem continues to linger and the Fed remains steadfast that they can mitigate the problem with macro prudential policy we didn't get any pushback in any of our meetings from clients that uh, really believe that that was indeed the case. They all view it as a monetary policy problem. It was a consequence of the excess liquidity injections from both the Fed and Treasury in 2021, and then the um, very aggressive tightening in 2022 into 2023. So um, the problem is, is clearly uh, lingering. And um, while we put forth the idea that we, we thought by the fall, the Fed would need to reverse at a minimum the March and May 50 basis points of hikes, <clears throat> most clients seem to think that it was going to require more than that. So bank portfolios um, did not have a down week in terms of deposits. But um, if you think about the likely um, outcome for deposits through the course of the year. We heard Mark Calabrio used to be the director of the FHFA, which is the regulator for Fannie and Freddie, say he thought there'd be another trillion of deposits that left the banking system by the end of the year. It's pretty straightforward how you get there when 
We do get a debt ceiling deal, which um, increasingly is looking like we might get a kick the can scenario through to the end of the year budgeting process and then uh, some real budget um, cuts later on. But rebuilding the Treasury general account will be worth some increase, an increase in issuance to the tune of about $500 billion. We do not think any of that money is going to come out of government money market funds or the Fed RRP program. That money just sits idly in that RRP program. There's no relending of it. It doesn't contribute to economic dynamism or economic activity at all. We think that the bulk of that 500 billion will come out of banks and broker dealers. Additionally, um, flows into government money funds, which continued last week at a very strong pace are running since the Silicon Valley Bank deal, $25 billion per week ahead of trend. If that continues for the balance of the year, that's another $750 billion that gets drained out of the banking system for the most part. So you can see how you get to a trillion dollars pretty easily. That would put deposit growth at negative 10%. If bank credit, which is slowing sharply, from closer to 10% back in September, now down to two, if that continues to converge with deposit growth, and we have a negative 10% year-on-year um, change in bank credit, we're going to be looking at a fairly significant credit shock. And we don't think the process is likely to be linear. We think it could accelerate at some point. So this is, this is at the bulk of our concerns and why we think the Fed needs to um, uh, reverse at least 50 basis points. And as I said, some of our clients think it's more than that. Um, certainly the near-term forward spread is pricing a reversal all the way to 3% by the end of 2024. We would also note that we're gonna run into um, issues with commercial real estate as you get into 2024 and 2025. So it's best to get this problem resolved in essence, we think if the Fed were to react sooner and start reversing those rate hikes, then um, they may not have to do quite as much. But to be sure, they're going to probably try and throw the macro prudential kitchen sink at the problem before they ever admit that this was caused by monetary policy and the solution is monetary policy. I, we have to say we're, we're continue, we, we are continually surprised when people like St. Louis Fed President Bullard say, well, we may have to do some more rate hikes because um, inflation is still a problem. If we, we, and we put this in the note, if you look at the real rate curve, twos out through thirties, it's lower than it was in September. It's lower than it was in December. And it's only marginally above where it was in 2018. That's undoubtedly because of the size of the Fed's balance sheet, which wasn't nearly as big in 2018. So these additional rate hikes, all they're doing is inverting the curve further, actually easing financial conditions further out the treasury curve and, um, um, you know, making policy actually a little bit easier. So this is a delving into the uh, Einstein, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing and expecting different results. Um, so that's where we're, we're at with that. We still think that um, um, the highest probability outcome right now is that we get some sort of a debt ceiling deal, the market breathes a sigh of relief, the Treasury ramps up issuance, the deposit outflows accelerate, um, the economic risks grow, the S&P probably sells off back to the December low. We don't think we're going to go back to the 
October low. And um, at that point, the Fed realizes, hey, we went too far and not because of the S&P necessarily. It'll be bank stocks that drive that correction. The bear raids are likely to continue. Uh, we don't think earnings are going to crater, but we do think um, we could have a, a serious uh, risk off event, um, which is enough to get the Fed uh, convinced that this was really a monetary policy problem. So with that in mind, um, we did think the dollar's likely headed south. That was one of the themes we talked with investors about. And um, our sort of unique lens on this is um, monetary policy, relative monetary policy is why the dollar was as strong as it was last year. We were ahead of the rest of the developed world in terms of tightening policy. But we view this as one lens, at least our lens on this is, we need to look at monetary policy efficacy. So at points when monetary policy was easier uh, in Japan and Germany with their negative rate policy and all, it was actually impairing their banking system. So it wasn't in fact easier policy because they weren't getting the credit creation that they expected with negative rates and with their credit um, easing policies, getting, you know, buying corporate debt and uh, um, all sorts of other areas. And so what's happening now, though, is that ROA, return on assets and return on equity, is starting to improve in the European banking system. And so they don't have quite the same problem with securities holdings, negative mark to market. They did take rates to much lower levels. <clears throat> they had far more negative yielding debt but they did mark their assets to market. And so ROA is starting to improve in European debt. And that for us is another reason why the dollar may weaken relative to the Euro. If the Japanese ever stop thinking about thinking about examining their policy and start normalizing it, um, that could help um, uh, the yen as well. But uh, bottom line here is we think that the dollar is probably headed lower. We then talk through or work through the history of the U.S. current account deficit and how we think that current account deficit, the trade portion of it is going to shrink um, through the course of even the whole next decade. We no longer run energy trade deficits, which was the marginal factor in periods when we had weak dollars and strong dollars. We ran big energy trade deficits. The dollar was weak. We ran big energy trade surpluses. The dollar was strong. The U.S. is now something of a petro currency. So, um, you know, we're, we're at a point where um, we think that that, uh, that deficit's going to shrink and um, interest in the dollar may wane a little bit. Not This is not a call that, um, uh, you know, the dollar's role as the reserve currency is over, but um, we do think we're going into a new dollar regime. So moving on to payrolls, the headline sure was strong, but um, we see lots of weakness in the details. It's Employment growth is slowing from our perspective for sure. The birth death model that we have lots of questions about added 378,000 jobs last month. The net revision was negative 149,000. When revisions start to move one way or the other, it's generally a, something of a leading indicator. Employment growth on a quarterly annualized basis has slowed from 3.3 back in September to 1.7% in April. Uh, Average hourly earnings for non-production for production or non-supervisory services producing industries has slowed over the last year from 7.2% to four and three quarters percent. It went down again last month, even though the headline AHE number was 
a little stronger than expected. Job openings have contracted by 1.58 million in the first three months of the year. The supply of labor is picking up. So we see the labor market is continuing to soften, but it's certainly not signaling a recession as of yet. And then finally, um, manufacturing, renaissance, residential construction, building of tech plants is just surging. This was something that 10 years ago, our technology colleagues at Barclays said would never happen. The supply chains would never move out of Asia. They look like they're on their way out of uh, out of Asia. So anyway, that's it for me this week. Um, we still remain fairly cautious on the markets here. Um, once we get that, um, any kind of a, a deal and start rebuilding the treasury balances at the Fed, that's the point that we're really concerned about. We would say that the difference between an economist and a strategist right now is an economist is going to go on TV and say the U.S. can never fault on their debts. We look like a third world country. And a strategist will say, forget about all that. It's nonsense. There'll be a deal. But what we're really worried about is what happens to liquidity after the deal is done and the Treasury starts increasing issuance. That for us is the true risk. Buried up from Ironsides. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you.